0: and you may have a seat. So tomorrow is 2024, or as sometimes it's referred to, the year of our Lord, 2024. The year of our Lord, 2024. We base what year, our counting of years, going back to Jesus. And funny thing is, Jesus didn't, it wasn't like he was like, that's a goal of mine. In contrast to Roman Empire's, emperors before and after him, that was a goal of theirs. They did try to say, like, we're going we're gonna to base the calendar on me. Jesus, he lived, you know, he was pretty much known in ministry for like three years to a very, very small region of the world. And yet, we're all going back to like, every, every time we say, you know, what, what, we're figuring out what time it is, we're basing it off of him. Like, he's the reference point for where we're at in history. It goes back to him. There also have been many attempts to change that. You know, like people who are adamantly like, we need to get religion out of things. There have been movements to change how we do the year just just because it kind of bothers that we're referencing him still. I mean, most famously, during the French Revolution, they wanted to start, you know, this is a new start. This is the age of reason. We're going to start the age of reason, but it just didn't last. But he somehow... Just because it's true, he's the reference point. And what I'd like to do for a few minutes today, before we go to uh, communion together, is just talk about something that I think would be a good reference point for us in the year ahead. You know, there was a time, and it makes sense, when people assumed that the sun revolved around the earth. Like, the earth is the center of the universe, and the sun revolves around it. And now we've discovered, no, actually, we revolve around the sun. Well, the same thing is kind of true about our lives with God. Like, just for the most part, we live as if everything, including God, just revolves around us. And we'll fit him into life as we can, or call on him when we need him. But otherwise, it's just about us. When in reality, he's the one who holds all things together. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. Our life revolves around him. That's what it's supposed to do. That's how it works best. And ultimately, that's what's going to last. So here's the reference point. Um, Well, let uh, let me just move into it, and I'll eventually share it more clearly. When people are joining the church or wanting to be baptized... Uh, The question that has been used throughout uh, centuries in all continents. This is a question, it comes to who is your Savior and Lord? And then people answer Jesus Christ. Who is your Savior and Lord? Now, Savior and Lord are two ways of describing who Jesus is. He's our Savior and our Lord. There's lots of other ways in the Bible, I'm going to read a bunch of them later, that talk about who Jesus is. He's our shepherd. He's the light. He is all the kinds of different things to us. But when it comes to, hey, you're going to say this in front of everybody, what we want you to make sure that you're saying and agreeing to is that he's your Savior and your Lord. These are two big things that Jesus the Messiah is your Savior and Lord. So I just, this may not be perfectly right, because I just went through with the concordance and counted how many times is Jesus referred to as Savior in the New Testament. If these are the two biggies, how many times? So in the Gospels, that's the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three times. In Acts, the history of the church that follows it, two times. In the epistles, the letters in the church written to people or to churches that make up our our New Testament Bible, 17 times. Speaking of which, Elsa, I need my Bible eventually. Thank you. Yeah, you can go ahead and bring it on up. It'll be distracting, because you're so cool, nobody will want to... I might as well stop talking. Yeah, all right. Thank you. All right. So in Revelation, the last book, very unique book of the Bible, Jesus as Savior is referenced zero times. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus as Lord, not there's other times it's mentioned like, uh, don't let him lord it over you or things. I'm not counting those. 187 times compared to three. In Acts, 106 times, compared to two. In the epistles, 329, Jesus is Lord, compared to 17. In Revelation, 21 times, Jesus is Lord, compared to zero. So total, 643 times, compared to 24, they are referencing Jesus as Lord. I'm just paying attention to that. Because, I mean, at least growing up, I thought of him primarily as Savior, and it's not to say we shouldn't think about a Savior. That's very important. I started to think about, well, what about Christ? You know, what about Messiah? Christ means Messiah or anointed one. Maybe that gets at the saving part. And it's true that uh, the people waiting for the Messiah were thinking like he would come to save, that that would be part of who the Messiah is. But Messiah literally is anointed one or king. And a king is actually more like a Lord than a Savior for the most part. It kind of captures both. Um, So anyway, but this Lord is like a big deal. So then you go to Old Testament, Savior in the Old Testament, 31 times, talking about God, and Adonai, Lord, 167 times. So again, way more Lord. And that is not counting the fact that Yahweh was a name given to God, a personal name for God, that in the Hebrew writers, they didn't even, they wouldn't write it, they didn't want to speak it. They had such reverence for God. Overdone, but we maybe have swung back too far the other way. So much reverence for God that they didn't even want to speak his name. And when the the Jewish people who wanted to translate the Old Testament around Jesus' time into Greek, because so many of the Jewish people spoke mainly Greek, when they went, how are we going to translate this Yahweh, this word that we're so careful about, they decided to do the Greek word for LORD in all caps. And almost all English translations have copied that. That when they're talking about LORD in the Old Testament, when they're talking about Yahweh in the Old Testament, they translate it as LORD in all caps. Now, God, there's a general term for God in the Old Testament, and that comes up 4,178 times in the Old Testament. But LORD, in all caps, 6,809 times. Lord, Lord, Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Lord is our God. Let me give three passages from the New Testament. First one from uh, chapter 10 of Romans, starting with verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This Getting this idea of Lord figured out, it seems pretty important since they're saying like this is part of being saved, is understanding Jesus as Lord. It's not just saying it. In, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he says, I'll, I'll say I never knew you. It's not just saying it, it's meaning it. It's knowing it, it that it's from your heart. So, next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Like God himself is part of us really understanding and accepting and confessing, professing, saying, Jesus is my Lord. That means God is at work in your... If you really mean it, if you're really coming into understanding of it, It means God's at work in your life, the Spirit of God. One last one from Philippians, talking about how Jesus had humbled himself, became obedient to death, became a human being, God becoming a human being, Jesus, humbled himself to be like a servant, to be put to death, Even death on a cross. And then it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is saying, like, right now we have the opportunity to decide, will we make him Lord? But whether we decide that or not, he is the Lord. And someday we'll know it. Just like, you know, you could say that the sun revolves around the earth because that's what it looks like. But reality is, the earth revolves around the sun. And we could say, I'm Lord of my life. I'm in charge of my life. I'll do what I want. But the reality is, he is the Lord. And someday, we're all going to acknowledge it. But what we decide right now is a pretty big deal. This is our time to be saved. So the big, thick biblical, dictionary of biblical imagery. It talks about different images in the Bible. And I looked up different images of Jesus. There's multiple pages and I'm just going to read all the different images and I want you to know that most of these have multiple paragraph description behind them. If there's just one paragraph, most of those paragraphs are quite, quite long. So here they are. Shepherd, bridegroom, abused one. Dinner guest and host, friend of sinners, refugee, stranger, scorned one, controversialist, head of family, Israel, savior, leader and pathbreaker, lord, divine warrior, Christus Victor, liberator of slaves, suffering servant, suffering righteous one, sacrifice, kind master, bread, water, Vine and wine, source, light, life, alpha and omega, wisdom of God, word of God, temple presence, son of God, son of man, heavenly Adam, Christ, Messiah, King, destroyer, builder, prophet, priest, sage, wise man, teacher, itinerant, healer, contemplative. All these, some of them are just described in the Bible, many of them are explicitly stated in the Bible about Jesus, and this is going to explain what each of those images are. <clears throat> now, excuse me, here is, when it comes to Lord, so in Savior in this is six paragraphs, six paragraphs to describe what does it mean that he's Savior in this book. Here's, Lord is one of the smallest paragraphs. It says, the title Lord is so commonly used of Jesus in the New Testament that the distinctive features of this image, like those on a well-worn coin, are not easily recognized. And so, it's basically saying, it's kind of so come together with Jesus that it just doesn't even mean anything to us. So, Lord Jesus Christ is like Pastor Andrew Schmidt. You know, Lord is the pastor and Christ is Schmidt. Lord is a specific thing that the Bible is getting at in how we relate to to God, how we relate to Jesus. And Christ is not his last name. It is Messiah, the anointed one, the king. So out of all these images that I read, the one that by far and the way they used the most in the scriptures is Lord. And we don't even know what it means, I don't think. Back then they had Lord's. Like real lords. Now, if I think Lord, I'm thinking like I can hardly say it without a British accent because that's the only time I think of it is like watching that kind of TV shows, you know, where that, that comes up. Or kind of religiously with Jesus. But what is, what is a Lord? Here's the dictionary definition. Lord is a person having great power and authority, a ruler and a master. Now, we could read a definition, but that would be different than understanding a reality. I don't think we can just read the definition and okay now we're going to relate to him that way. So what I would like us to do is in 2024 make it a year of the Lord. A year of the Lord here at Celebrate. I'm not making prophecies or predictions because there's certain years of the Lord in the Bible. But I'm just saying like can we lean into like what does it mean that he's Lord? Because it seems really important, and I don't think we really know. So I don't know if we'll talk about all of these things, but I would imagine we'll do multiple sermons, uh, you know weeks, talking about subjects like this: the fear of the Lord, servants of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the day of the Lord the Lord's day, the Lord's prayers, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the nations, the Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of compassion, the passion of the Lord. I'm just say, he is Lord. Whether we say it or not, he is Lord. So what does that mean? Well, We'll, we'll try to figure that out over the course of the year. But I would say one thing is like, the picture is like, he is the sun, and we are to revolve around him, versus he's our genie God, our therapy God, our, you know, our friend. Our, he is a friend. But, you know, the one time he says, you no longer call me, I no longer call you servants, I call you Friends. To those same people, if you watch how they wrote about him in the New Testament, they still called him Lord. They had friendship, but I think Lord, knowing him really as Lord is the way to get to true friendship with God and how friendship with God works compared to the other way around. So here are some things just right off the bat. If you're like, you know, last week's uh, message at Christmas Eve was, he must become greater. Well, that would be a way to help him be Lord in our lives. That would, that, those two things could overlap. So how would he become greater, or how could we lean into him being our Lord? Let me give you just a few examples before we go to communion. Attend Sunday worship regularly. If you don't attend Sunday worship regularly, maybe that is a starting point, to put it a habit. It's Sundays were often called, in Christian communities, the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. It's what he wants. It's about him that day we can't get a year of the Lord if we can't figure out a schedule of a week to give a day to the Lord. And I don't, we, we'll probably talk about that at some point. And I'm not trying to give guilt things, but I'm just, again, getting to like, so with God, is it like, God, I need you to revolve around me and I'll fit you in when I can. Or God, I need to establish some habits in my life so that I revolve around you. Even though, I, like everything, like I still have stuff to do and I can fund things and That's all good, but I just just want to have some habits in my life so that I revolve around you instead of saying, like, you revolve around me. Okay, next one. Attend a newcomer's gathering. So, if you come here but you aren't involved, like, next week, after each service we're going to have, so that people that are relatively new here can meet with staff, get to know staff and each other, and and also part of that could be finding out ways to, to get involved. The stats are out. There's just tons of people who've left the church. The most recent uh, research tons of people about the church, and there's like six categories. You know, some have been hurt by the church and things like that. The number one reason, by I think majority of the people, is that they didn't ever even intend intended to leave the church. They just stopped coming. So if you get involved in some way, that's less likely to happen. Number three, sign up for faith commitment class. Our next one is January uh, afternoon, twenty first. If you haven't been baptized or you haven't confirmed your baptism or you haven't done that here with us to reaffirm your faith, and this is something to do. It's like an hour and a half, uh, something to consider. Three more things. Attend the fire keepers night. Like, help us as a church make this a year of the Lord by starting it with a group of us praying. Just worshiping and praying. Now, if you're like, I don't know, I, we aren't going to put you on the spot. Like, okay, here's the microphone, you pray now. We're not going to do that. Unless you're related to me, uh, we're not going to do that. Just you just pray on our own. Walk, maybe we'll... I don't know what we're doing, actually, to be honest. But in what we've done, what leaders have done most years, first week of the year, is we have walked through the building and prayed for it. Just praying through the building. So something like that. Please consider that. Or the next week, become part of a group. Become part of a group. It's going to meet for like six weeks, maybe Sunday nights, maybe Wednesday nights, maybe even another night. But just hear what it is and think about maybe for six weeks. That would be a way to make him Lord, to make him greater in your life. Is to be part of a group because... It just doesn't work very well by ourselves. We need each other. There was a guy, D.L. Moody was a, a famous evangelist in the 19th century, and this guy invited him. He was, had questions, and he wanted to talk to him, so we got him to his house. There's a big fireplace going, hearth going, and he he's, sits down. They have a good conversation, and then he says, you know, I just want to tell you all the reasons why I don't think you actually have to be part of a church to be a Christian. And he went on and on, and he had a lot of good reasons, good points. And after a while, the old moody hadn't said anything. He just took out a poker, took a coal out, and put it down on the stone hearth. It was all hot, went there, and he just watched it as it became less hot and cold. So when it's with the other coals in the fire, it stays hot. When you take it out by itself, it becomes cold. I'm explaining it in case. He didn't explain it. The guy just was talking and watching him, and then said, Okay, you've made your point. That was it. All right, anyway. didn't mean to tell that story. But Lastly, if you are a follower of Jesus, could you join me in what I'm going to do this year? Every day, I'm gonna have, there's three people who don't go to church that I'm going to pray for every day. I don't think they follow Jesus or know Jesus. And I'm also going to try to invite each of them at a different point. I was at a, a seminar in the fall where it said at least once a year you should have somebody sitting with you who doesn't normally go to church. That was really a challenge to me. Like all of us, if we believe Jesus is who he says he was, if we believe our eternal destinies are at stake and based on him, and we care about people at all, we should try to introduce them to Jesus. Invite them towards Jesus. Now, there's lots of other ways to do it. Coming here may be like the worst thing to do. Like, eh. have you heard yourself talk, Andrew? Anyway, but, but for others, like, it might be something where this is, this would be a kind of a, safe isn't the right word, because I hope it's dangerous for people that, um, <laughs> babbling. this might be a good place for people. So anyway, think about it, though. Pray Minimally praying. Fine, like, okay, are there three people? that don't go to church or aren't close to the lord right now that I'm going to pray for and then consider inviting them at some point those are the things to think about now to end the service we're going to do the lord's supper the lord's supper cuz jesus says i want you to have like this meal this thing you do together and here's why i want you to do it i want you to remember that i died for you Forgive your sins. I I am commanding you. I am the Lord. And I am commanding you to do this to help you remember that I love you. How much I love you. How much I want to be with you. That's why we're doing this. I want you to remember, I didn't just come a long time ago, I'm with you now. My presence is with you now. I want to be with you now. This is a picture of me being as close to you as possible, like even inside of you, taking me even inside of you alive, my spirit, because I'm with you now. And just a quick aside uh, somebody the last time we did corporate communion told me they had been sick for weeks, they couldn't get over it, they were tired of it, they kind of cried out to the Lord the day before uh, the church, and then they came to church service, took communion when we did the communion like this, and were better that day. And they were texting, emailing me like the week later. That is my prayer. Is that every time we do this, someone experiences healing. Physically healing, emotionally, spiritually. But because that's what he did when he was here. Whenever he was around, people were healed. And I think there's something unique about doing this. Like we should expect people will be healed. And finally, he commands us to do this to remember he's coming back. He goes to prepare a place for us to take us back to be with him with a feast. Not like this little thing here, like the greatest party of all time to inaugurate the greatest way of living we could ever imagine into eternity. That's why he says to come here. So we're going to have four stations with our new ministering elders serving. We'll let the worship team go first, and they will go up, and lead us in a couple songs as we're taking communion. If you want to come, if you believe in Jesus and want to come, you can come and take, take the elements when you're ready. So, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. Ooh, Ah, I think this is the first time I've done this. All right. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. This is a table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you ministering elders, you can come forward.